Last night, I went to a concert in Orlando. Well, actually, there was a group of us that went to a concert in Orlando at the House of Blues there at Disney Springs. And it was a celebration of an album, a particular album that came out exactly 30 years ago. The band was Striper. Yes. The album was called To Hell with the Devil. Unless you think that that sounds harsh, turn in your Bibles. No, don't. You can look it up later. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. That's exactly where it tells us that that's what's going to happen. Amen. That the devil will be cast into the lake of fire with all the brimstone and all the rest of it. Amen. Now, some of you know that Oz Fox, uh, the guitarist of Striper, is a, is a friend of mine. We, we met him years ago, and we've just um, been friends over the years. And whenever they're in Florida, we get to spend a little time with them. And, and uh, last night, anyways, well, this was a picture of us hanging out before the concert. Oz took us up on the stage and all that, and it was a fun time. Anyways, last night was a stop on the 30th anniversary tour of the album To Hell with the Devil, and they played the entire album straight through from beginning to end. Then they took a break, and then they came out and played some more songs. And it was just a blast. It was, it was really, it was a night to remember. So they took us back to 1986 last night, Striper did. Right now, I want to take you back one year further than that. I want to take you back to 1985. Right now, I want to take you back to 1985. And this was the year that the mega hit movie, Back to the Future, hit theaters. Remember that? Remember Back to the Future? And Marty McFly? Yeah, this was Marty McFly. What, what, what a great movie. Amen? Now... I want to call your attention to a scene in the movie and to a particular character, Principal Strickland. You remember Principal Strickland? Yeah. Principal Strickland. Now, if you'll remember, I'm taking you back to 1985 right here. The movie opens with Marty showing up late to school. Why? Because Doc Brown had set all of his clocks back 10 minutes in some sort of scientific experiment. So Marty thought he had 10 minutes. He realized he didn't have the 10 minutes. And so he was late to school. So Marty and his girlfriend are trying to sneak into school late. And wouldn't you know it, Principal Strickland catches them showing up late. And he proceeds to call Marty McFly a slacker. The conversation went like this. Principal Strickland said this, you've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. You remind me of your father when, went, when he went here, and he was a slacker too. Can I go now, Mr. Strickland? I noticed your band is on the roster for the dance auditions after school today. Why even bother, McFly? You don't have a chance You're too much like your old man. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Yeah, well, history's going to change. That's how it started. 
with Marty McFly being called a slacker. And the rest is history. Yeah, he did change history. Marty changed history. He changed history in the movie. By the end of the movie, his dad is no longer a slacker. In fact, he's an author with all kinds of money, and he's going to play tennis with his mom and all that kind of fun stuff. And Marty is no longer a slacker either. But the proud owner of a brand-new Toyota 4x4. Amen? <laughs> now, this charge of being a slacker is thrown around from time to time. And this brings us to our text tonight. Peter tells us that there will be those who will come in the last days and they will accuse God of being a slacker. Their charge will be that God doesn't keep his word. And Peter makes the case here in 2 Peter chapter 3 against that charge. It's an interesting charge that needs to be looked at. It's not just a completely unserious charge. And we see that because Peter treats it seriously. Amen? Is God a slacker? Does he keep his promises? Let's see what Peter has to say about it. I've got three points. If you're taking notes tonight, mockers will come on the scene. Number two, Jesus will come back. And third, you should come to repentance. And this is the message for tonight. So first, mockers will come on the scene. Let's pick it up in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, and of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Mockers will come on the scene. Peter tells us that he has written his epistles. He gives us the purpose, he gives us the reason for his writing of the epistles to stir up our minds by way of reminder. He's stirring up our minds by way of reminder. And he doesn't just say their minds, he says their pure minds. Did you notice that? In that verse he says, I want to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. As, as he wants the pure truth, the pure minds there, talk about having the pure truth. A pure mind has the pure truth of God. And he wants to stir up this, the pure minds in the pure truth of the Lord, of God. He wants the pure truth to be stirred up in our minds over against the false teaching that he's talked about. The false teachers that are among them, the false teachers, the false doctrines that they have brought into the various churches. And we need to be stirred up in our minds concerning the pure knowledge of the truth of the Word of God. We really do. If there ever was a time, and I think you could say this in any time, but let me go ahead and say it now. If there ever was a time that we needed to be stirred up in our pure minds of the pure knowledge of the truth of God, of God's word, we need it today more than ever. We need to be stirred up in the pure knowledge of the truth 
of God and his word. We need our minds stirred concerning the commands of the Lord and the promises of the Lord too. Now one particular thing that Peter wants to remind us of is that mockers will come in the last days. Scoffers, he calls them. Scoffers, mockers, whatever you want to call them. And these mockers, these scoffers, have an identifying characteristic. Peter tells us they walk according to their own lusts. What? What's that? Lusts. Remember, we've talked about this word lust. It's one of those words, we're pretty familiar with it, but if we ask, we're asked of a definition, we're kind of scrambling exactly what it is. They're, they're, they're walking according to their own lust, their own fleshly desires. Peter is not saying only those that are scoffers give in to their fleshly desires. He's saying that these guys, these guys that are scoffers, these guys that are mockers are controlled by their fleshly desires. They're controlled by their lusts. They're walking out their lives according to their lusts. And as we learned last week, is it is to say they're not spiritual people. They're not spiritual people. They have not been born from above. They have not been born from, uh, 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 born again in that sense, which literally is born from above, born of the Father. Because if they were, then they would be spiritual people. And hopefully they would be on a track of learning how to walk according to the Spirit instead of walking according to their lust, their own sinful desires, their own fleshly desires. We learned last week that as Christians, we should not be controlled by our fleshly desires, our drives, if you will. We're not to be controlled by our drives. We're spiritual people, and we should walk in the Spirit, obedient to the Word of God. So Peter tells us here the scoffers will come, the mockers will come, and they will challenge the reliability of the Word of God. They will bring a challenge concerning the reliability of the word of God. They will question the promises of God. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where where is it that, that he's being a person of his word? We understand that there's the command that Jesus will come again, but where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? And these scoffers, they've been on the scene for the last 2,000 years. And they're still coming on the scene. They're still coming on the scene. I know sometimes you read your Bible and you read verses like this and you say, well, maybe back then some scoffers came or maybe back then such and such and such and such happened. And, And I know they were warning of all this in the Bible, but certainly not today. No, now more than ever, the scoffers are out. The mockers have come. They've come upon the scene. Look. Look everywhere. The mockers are here. This is what they're mocking. They're saying, where is the promise? Where where, where is this God? And where is is he he a person that keeps his promise? I mean, where, where is this coming of the Lord? Look, everything's been happening. Everything's been going on. In the same manner since our fathers passed away. In other words, nothing's changed. Every day has 
flowed into the next day and the next day and the next day, and everything's been happening and going on since the creation. And so is he, is he going to return? Is he coming? Where is he? And it will cast doubt on the promise of Jesus' return. Now, the promise of Jesus' return is a great promise. Remember, we talked about, Peter talked about already to us about how we have the great and precious promises. The great and precious promises of our Lord. And, 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 and the promise of his return is one of those great promises. This, this, isn't just, this isn't just like, oh, by the way, we might bring you some donuts home, you know, if you're good. This is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. And it's a great promise. Jesus promised that he would return. Amen? He talked about his return in Matthew's gospel. You can look it up, Matthew 24, 25, as he, gets, as he gets questioned by the disciples, the apostles. Jesus talks about his return. There were men that appeared to the disciples in the first chapter of Acts as Jesus was ascended into heaven. And you will remember, are they men? Are they angels? Look at it. Look at the text for yourself. But anyways, I'll read Acts chapter 1, verse 11. This is what they said to the disciples. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Wow. This is a great promise. This is a great and fundamental promise of our Lord that he's coming again to the earth. And the apostles all reiterate this. Paul talks about this. Peter's talking about it. They're all talking about it. And they're reminding us of the great promise of the return of Christ. The return of the king. For you Tolkien fans. Amen. And so the scoffers come. The mockers come. And they say everything is as it has been since the beginning. Since creation, this is what's been happening. Every day happens and we don't see Jesus. Where is Jesus? Where is the promise of his coming? But nonetheless, the scoffers may come and they may come upon the scene and they've been coming upon the scene for the last 2,000 years, but nonetheless, Jesus will come back Amen? He will return to the earth just as he promised. Jesus will come back. Let's move forward. Let's pick it up. Verse 5. Peter says this. For this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. By which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Jesus will come back. Now, there's another thing about these men, these mockers. Well, we don't necessarily know. They don't have to be men only. There's some lady mockers, some lady scoffers out there 
And we're not going to get out into the various other choices that are evidently out there today. But the, the scoffers and the mockers will come. But just as they were those that were given to their sinful desires, there's also another characteristic that they have, Peter tells us. He says that they've forgotten something. They've forgotten something. And, he, and Peter goes so far as to say they willfully forget the basic premise of the scoffers is that there is no return of Christ. And if there's no return of Christ, then there's no return of Christ to judge the nations. Let me say that again. If there's no return of Christ, then there's no return of Christ to judge the nations. And so not only are they scoffing and saying, where is the promise of his coming? They're basically saying, there is no judgment of God. There is no judgment to come. And this is part of the mocking of the scoffing. There's no judgment. And this, I want to read to you what commentator and pastor David Gusick says about these scoffers. He says this, quote, These scoffers presume upon the mercy and the long-suffering of God, insisting because they have never seen a widespread judgment of God that there will never be one. But they willful, willfully forget God's creation and the judgment God poured out on the earth in the days of Noah. So here's what they willfully, willfully forget. The mockers, the scoffers, they willfully forget two things, maybe more. Peter gives us two things that they willfully forget. Two important things. Two important things that we should never forget about. The creation is the first one. They willfully forget that God spoke and the heavens and the earth were created by God. Look at a verse 5. For this is, is they, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth, standing out of water and in water. What's he saying? They forgot that by the word of God, God spoke and created the, wor the world. He created the heaven and earth. God spoke. He was the cause of the universe, of the world, the heavens and the earth. And they have forgotten this. They've willfully forgotten this. They willfully forget that God spoke the heavens and the earth into being. Now we have a creation. You open up your eyes and you look out and you see, what do you see? We have a world, right? We have an earth. We have a creation. There's something here. It's not nothing. There's something here. And it's a world. It's the heavens and the earth. And so we have a, we have a creation. And the Bible... And the latest and greatest science both tell us that the universe had a beginning. That in that sense, there was a creation. That there was a time when, or I don't know if it was a time, it was before time, where there was no universe. There was no heaven and no earth. And the Bible tells us that the, earth, the heaven and earth came into being. And the latest and greatest science tell us, for those of you listening on podcasts, I'm quote-unquote science, tells us that there was a beginning to the universe. Now, something didn't come from nothing without a cause. Something didn't come from nothing without a cause. And so by this is, this is you know, kind of how we understand that there was a first cause and that therefore there, there must have been a God. The cause is God. The cause is God. 
The Spirit of God. He's the creator. And I think you have to look at, now there's many things that you could look at. There's a hundred different proofs. There's a hundred different uh, syllogisms that you could look at. But one of them I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to take a look at Gottfried Leibniz. His argument for the creation from the principle of sufficient reason. His argument for creation for the principle of sufficient reason. Now that sounds like, oh my goodness, he's getting off into philosophy and you've already lost me. No, 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 you're going to love this. You're going to get this. Okay, this is, this is a good one. This was a fun, this is a fun one. The principle of sufficient reason. The basic idea behind the principle is this. Take any feature of the world. If the world could have failed to be that way, then there must be some explanation of why the world is that way. You follow me? So take, take anything, any feature of the world, and if the world could have failed to be that way, then there must be some explanation of why the world is that way. And so you have the, the principle of sufficient reason, and let's bring it down like this. Any contingent fact about the world must have an explanation. Any contingent fact about the world must have an explanation. Or, to say it this way, why is there something rather than nothing? Why do we have a world? Why is there a world rather than no world, nothing at all? Because when we look up, we wake up in the morning, we look out, there's a world. Why is there something rather than nothing? This is all goes to the principle of sufficient reason. What's that? Yeah, there's got to be a sufficient reason that this exists. Amen? And the only sufficient reason that you can come up with... Now, in order to avoid the conclusion that the sufficient reason is God created the world, which is basically what Genesis 1-1 tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In order to avoid the conclusion of the principle of sufficient reason among other uh, arguments, they have to posit, now the latest thing is multiple universes, right? We live in not just a universe, but we live in a multiverse, they tell us. And the multiverse, we live in one universe within the multiverse, and because there's so many multiplied millions and billions and trillions of, of, of universes and possibilities, that that explains the universe that we live in. But there's also a principle of philosophy. It's called Occam's Razor. And Occam's Razor tells you that a lot of times the simplest reason is the reason you know, sometimes philosophers come up with all kinds of complicated stuff because they like to philosophize. You know, they like to philosophize. Like, uh, what's the what's the the, the scientist that that's the uh, the great uh, astrophysicist in in the wheelchair? Hawking. Yeah, Hawking. He opens up his latest book by by de, by de, 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 uh, declaring that philosophy is dead and goes on in the rest of the three, four hundred pages to philosophize about everything, you know, that, 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 that there is. So, you know, Occam's razor. Um, 
so, you know, I could go on and on, but, you know, this is fun to take a look at some of this stuff. Amen? There are hundreds of things to consider when looking at the creation. There is a creation. Amen? Now, the second thing that they willfully forget is the flood. What flood? The flood last week in the middle of US 1? No, the, the flood of Noah. The flood of Noah. Scoffers say God's judgment is not coming. It's not coming. But Peter says that they've forgotten the creation and they've forgotten the flood. To quote Carrie Livgren in AD from their song The Fury, they have forgotten the ancient world, once by water and now by fire. People today will scoff at the flood. They will scoff at the flood. They come to the Bible, they come to Genesis, and they say, well, here's a, here's a really good reason why I can't be a Christian. Here's a really good reason why I can't believe in God. Because this book is full of all kinds of fairy tale type stories about guys building boats and floods coming and guys cramming all kinds of animals into a big ship and all kinds of stuff. And, and, and that's just where it gets started. You know, it goes on from there to all kinds of, of stories. And I've heard it said, I've heard it put this way. If you open up your Bible and you read the very first verse and you can't believe that, then you're going to have a problem with the rest of it. But if you're okay with the first verse and believe that God is the creator of everything that we see, then everything else is easy stuff compared to the first verse. We said, oh, well, God couldn't do this and God couldn't do that. Oh, but he could create the world out of nothing just by the power of his own word. No, if you can accept the first verse by faith, then then the rest of the stuff comes pretty easy. But the scoffers come. Oh, you know, the flood and all this and Noah's Ark and the two by two. And they scoff. Thinking actually another song just popped into my head. Black Flag by King's X. He actually mentions this exact thing of the, the scoffers of Noah and that he had actually become one of them. And people today will scoff. Never happened. That's a bunch of hogwash. And that's for people with little minds. Check this out. This is going back to 2012, the year 2012, from an ABC News article. In an interview with Christian Amanpour for ABC News, Robert Ballard, one of the world's best-known underwater archaeologists, talked about his findings. His team is probing the depths of the Black Sea off the coast of Turkey in search of traces of an ancient civilization hidden underwater since the time of Noah. Ballard's track record for finding the impossible is well known. In 1985, there's that year again. In 1985, using a robotic submersible equipped with remote-controlled cameras, Ballard and his crew hunted down the world's most famous shipwreck, the Titanic. Now Ballard is using even more advanced robotic technology to travel farther back in time. He's on a marine archaeological mission that might support the story of Noah. The question is, was there a mother of all floods, Ballard said. According to a controversial theory proposed by two Columbia University scientists, yeah, like, isn't that funny, too? A controversial theory. There really was one in the Black Sea region. There really was one. 
Fascinated by the idea, Ballard and his team decided to investigate. We went in there to look for the flood, he said. Not just a slow-moving, advancing rise of sea level, but a really big flood that then stayed. And the land that went under stayed under. 400 feet below the surface, they unearthed an ancient shoreline, proof to Ballard that a catastrophic, catastrophic, uh, catastrophic event did happen in the Black Sea area by carbon dating shells found along the shoreline. Ballard says he believes that they have established a timeline for the catastrophic event, which he estimates happened around 5000 B.C. Some experts believe this was around the time when Noah's flood could have occurred. It probably was a bad, a bad day, Ballard said, at some magic moment. It broke through and flooded this place violently, and a lot of real estate, 150,000 square kilometers of land, went under. So this is very interesting. Amen? So you got Ballard down there, you know, with his submersible submarines, you know. Thank God, you know, thank, thank, thankful this guy, you know, went down there and discovered Titanic. And now he's, you know, a few years ago, he's down there in the Black Sea looking for all, all kinds of archaeological evidence. Now, in recent years, there, there have been replicas of the Ark built. A few years ago, there was one in Amsterdam. Guy, can you, yeah, of all places, Holland, Amsterdam, the Dutch. Yeah, it's all the same thing. Um, <laughs> Guy in Holland, Amsterdam, he built an ark. And then, of course, just recently, right here in Kentucky, um, Ken Ham, right? Do we have a picture? Do we have a picture of the ark? Boom, yeah. And we actually have some people who have actually been there to visit the ark encounter there in Kentucky. The ancient people groups, besides the Hebrews of the Bible, have a story of a catastrophic flood. The most well-known of which is the Epic of Gilgamesh. So the scoffers, the scoffers scoff. But the truth is that God did once judge the world. The, the truth, the reality is, and the Bible tells us that that God did once judge the world by water in this flood. Now, Peter goes on, verse 7. He says, The heavens and the earth are now being preserved by the word of God, and they're reserved for this next judgment that's coming. The judgment of God once again, but this time by fire. First time by water, second time by fire. And it is coming. It is coming. We'll get into it next week on our final week because he gets into a little bit more detail about this fire of this next judgment when he talks about the, the elements melting away in the heat. And so we'll get into a little bit of that next week. So I'll just throw that out there as a, as a little sermon teaser for next week. So the scoffers scoff and mock but that does nothing to change the fact that God has reserved the world for judgment 
by fire right now in his long suffering it is preserved by his word by his power by his power it is it is preserved and it is reserved it's preserved and reserved it's preserved by god reserved for the judgment that he will bring upon the earth so the scoffers will come jesus will come back and the final point tonight is you should come to repentance This is why he's waiting. Verse 8, he says this. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter tells us the scoffers will come. He reminds us that they forget things and that Jesus will come. The earth now is preserved and reserved for the coming and the judgment of God. But before that happens, there's still an opportunity for you to come, for you to come to repentance. Peter, in these last two verses, gives us a sneak peek into God's perspective on the issue. You see, the scoffers bring their perspective on the issue. They say, where is the promise of his coming? But here in these last two verses, Peter gives us God's perspective on the apparent delay. We've got to take a look at God's timetable here for a second. And then also Peter tells us God is wanting every person to choose to come to repentance, to to, to come to God, to come to salvation. Amen? First, God's timetable. God is not on our timetable. Amen? The argument that it's been a long time and God has not done what he promised is not a good argument when it comes to God because he's not on our timetable. Amen? It's it's really, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, if we had Paul here tonight, he would tell us, he he would say, yeah, yeah, the foolishness of the world, the foolishness of Christ and the foolishness of the world. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's one of those arguments. It's like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Well, he's not on our timetable. Amen? He's got his own plan. He's got his own timetable. God's on his schedule, not ours. What seems like forever for us is but a short time for God. Just an hour may, may seem to be an eternity for a child. But for a moment, for for an adult, it's where did the hour go? We've been on both sides of that equation, haven't we? We've been the kid that's been sitting there going, hey, when are we leaving? When are we going? I'm tired of waiting. It's going to be an hour, son. It's going to be an hour. How long's that? It's two cartoons. <laughs> right? You know those cartoons that you watch? Two of those. Just think of two of those, and when that's done, then we're leaving. And that's kind of, honestly, to be honest, that's, that's a little bit of the perspective that Peter brings to it. That, that, that he tries to give us, it's like 
we're children and we're going up to God. Hey, where's the promise of your coming? He's like, look, two cartoons. Two cartoons? That's long. It's long when you want to leave, but not when you're enjoying a good cartoon. Amen? I mean, I don't really enjoy cartoons anymore, but at one point I did. And then you figure out that, like, you know, all these cartoons, it's all the same thing every time, you know? I mean, Tom never did, you know, do away with Jerry. Coyote never did get Roadrunner. So Peter, he tells us here, he says, um, he says the Lord, or before we get there, he says, uh, with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Uh Uh-oh. Really? Now, Now, some have tried to make this like kind of the secret decoder ring of, <laughs> of the prophetic timetable, right? And they said, oh, well, a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. So maybe that the earth, the human history, all of human history is to be 7,000, it's to be a week, and that's 7,000 years, and where are we in the 7,000 years, and trying to figure out exactly where we are. And I'm not going to completely, like, you know, trash it or whatever, but I think it does miss the point of what Peter is saying here, because it seems to me, it seems to me that Peter may have in the back of his mind a particular verse of Scripture that was written by Moses in the Psalms, Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 4, I'll read it in the ESV. It'll be up on the screen. Where Moses says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. And so when you really look at this one, it's as if we're getting the perspective of God. We look a thousand years, we look at a thousand years, and it's really nothing to God. Amen? And so I think it's one of those things where we have this perspective where we have the perspective of humanity, of human beings looking on at time and going, you know, sometimes a day seems long. A day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Really, it shows us that God has a different perspective on time than we do. But Peter gets to the real issue of the apparent delay. Apparent delay is not about necessarily about perspective, but it's about his patience, his long-suffering with the world, with the people of the world. We serve a God that is a loving God, and he's a patient God, and he's long, he suffers long because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish and come under the judgment. He doesn't want to. In fact, he did something about that. The Father sent the Son into the world He was born, and he came to deal with the problem of mankind who had gone astray, who had become sinners. He came to deal with sin. He came to deal with the effects of sin, which was death. He defeated, he lived a perfect life. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose from the dead, and he defeated the grave. 
Amen? And so he's won the victory for every single person, and he is patient. He loves you. He loves the world. He loves every single person, and he's patient. God is not slack concerning his promise. He's not slack. He's not a slacker. He's he's the opposite of that. He's he's patient. He's long-suffering. He's patient. And the reason for his patience is is that he really, really, really desires every person to come to him. Peter puts it this way. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is that you would come to repentance, to come to repentance of your sins, to come to repentance, which is a change of your mind. Repentance is a change of your mind. It's a turning. It's literally, I was going this way, and you know what? I changed my mind. I no longer want to head in my own direction. I no longer want to head in my direction. I want to turn around and I want to embrace God and I want to embrace the future that he has for me. I want to repent of my sin and the, and the direction that I was walking, like these scoffers walking according to the lust of the flesh. I want to repent of that and I want to embrace God. I want to accept the, the, the love that God has for me. And so God's desire is that you would come. God's desire is that you would come to join him, that you would repent of your sins. He's not going to make you. He's not going to make anybody. God is not a, he's not a God of coercion. We don't, we, no one comes to God truly because they've been coerced into it. We come of our own free will. We come of our own free will, and we learn this in the first chapter of Leviticus. When God gives the instructions to the people of bringing the sacrifices and the sacrificial system, and he says, whoever wants to come, you come of your own free will. You want to bring the, 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 the burnt offering? You want to bring the burnt offering to the tabernacle? Come, let him come, let him come, let him come of his own free will. And you come of your own free will. You come freely. Now I want to go right to the close. Right now ask you to bow your head. Jesus died for you to cleanse you from your sins, but you must choose the free gift of life in him. The question is, do you want it? Do you want it? The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation. Accept him today. Make him your Lord right now. If if you want to repent of your ways, of your sin, of going your own way, you have an opportunity right now. This word of God from his word has come to you to give you the opportunity to repent of your sin, to turn from your, your ways, and to make him the Lord of your life right now. If you want to do that, I want to just ask you to do that right now. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
God, we thank you for this night. Lord, we thank you for this word and we thank you for your presence with us, Lord. That you love us and that you are patient. That you're not slack concerning your promise, but you're patient, long-suffering. Not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone would come to repentance. Lord, and Lord, you, you have swung the doors open wide to any and all who will come. And will come to you to turn from their ways and to embrace you, God. To confess you as Lord and Savior. To make you truly king of our hearts, of our lives. To trust you with our very lives. To give you everything. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray, God, if there's anyone here that needs to make you the king of their life, the Lord of their life, I pray that they would do it tonight. Amen, amen.